The Rays continue having the Yankees number. Their ace pitched poorly Thursday, did Garrett Cole, and the Yankees split a four-game series with Tampa. Should we genuinely be concerned with this team? The Red Sox come to the Bronx for the first matchup between the two division rivals. We'll break down the series, and Nelly looks back at his Yankees-Red Sox memories. Our special guest this week is a Yankees fan, a guitarist, and singer from the heavy metal group Helmet. It's Paige Hamilton. So grab your air guitar and microphone and rock out with us now. Next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All right, here's a Pinstripe Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our producer Jake Brown as well during the show. Follow the entire crew on Twitter for updates on the show. That's at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43 and at Jake Brown Radio. Paige Hamilton, a Yankees fan and the guitarist and singer from the heavy metal group Helmet will join us later on the Pinstripe Pod. I don't know about you, Nelly, but I can't wait to pick Paige Hamilton's brain to see how a kid from Oregon wound up being a Yankee fan. But we'll talk to him next. But first, Nelly, let's talk about this uh, four-game series split with the first-place Tampa Bay Rays. We're inching closer and closer to that magic number with the Rays, that 60-game mark. They're 58 games into the season so far. We've been talking about how you know they ran out of gas last season in the postseason, losing the World Series to the Dodgers. So we'll see how they do. But what are your thoughts on this split? Is this a disappointing series? for the Yankees what are your thoughts on that uh, a little bit you know I guess it's disappointing because of the way Cole pitched and yeah you know it is it is what it is it happens your ace is going to get beat up he's not going to be perfect all the time so he, he gets a pass you know I, I guess when you're looking at it and, and you're a Yankee fan you're saying oh hey you know what we won the first two out of three and we have Cole going in the last day we have a great shot of winning three out of four so I guess in that sense it's a little disappointing you know they could have easily lost all four but they could have easily won three out of four you know it's uh, it, it was just that you look at Chapman the other day on a safe situation. He gets the first two guys on and, all, you know, with the one run lead four to three, next thing you know, he gets out of it. So he's been outstanding. I don't know if it's a total disappointment. You would have loved to win three out of four and try to gain ground on them, especially after losing three in Detroit. I guess it was OK. I guess some of the more concerning things is, you know, you have Judge playing center field now. Uh, the defense is still a mess. Their base running is still pathetic. Uh, other than that, you know, you know, Frazier had a good day, had a good series at the plate, really a really good series in the outfield. They're playing decent. I, I guess they're they rebounded, I guess, well from Detroit. I mean, I would have liked to see him three out of four, but they rebounded well after getting swept in Detroit. Yeah, and and you brought up Judge, and that's a good point because this Yankee team, especially their manager and their general manager, are trying to protect uh, Aaron Judge as much as possible, and he's out there in center field. And, you know, Aaron Boone said he has to move just as much in right field, which isn't really the case. Who would you rather see besides Aaron Judge if they're truly trying to protect this guy? I know fans kind of got really excited and juiced up when they saw a judge in center field, but who would you rather see out there besides judge? Well, if they're not going to put Gardner out there and you're going to have to, you know, 
if there's a tough lefty, obviously they're sitting Gardner. I would have rather see Frazier. You know, Frazier's a younger player. He's probably more mobile. I think he's earned it. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's played really good defense. He's made some really good catches and he he's not afraid to leave his feet. He's like Superman in the outfield. <laughs> it's I would have rather see him out there only because he, he's just younger and more mobile. And if you're really a concerned about Judge and his lower body stiffness or or doing whatever you can to try to save him and, and keep him healthy, you know, right field is probably a better spot. You really don't have to cover a whole lot more ground. Obviously, center field. Maybe you're running into walls a little bit because it's a shorter shorter area. Uh, you know, plus he has a decent arm. I, I just don't like to see him in center. You know, it's kind of it's kind of weird when they go out and say, oh, you know, we we have to watch his load or load management with Judge, and then you're putting him into a, a high leverage position that he's going to have to do a lot of running. Uh, I would rather see a younger player or Gardner if he's going to be in the lineup. I don't. I know we don't do video with this, but uh, every time someone mentions lower body stiffness, I, I can't help but, but smile. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if Jake or anyone or Brian caught that while we were doing this on, on camera. I know Jake wanted to see my beautiful face, the face for radio that is doing this podcast with Nelly right now, but I, I just can't help but have an ear-to-ear smile when someone brings I up. I had to do an ad read once for this company blue chew and and the company <laughs> I, they made me in the form i had to, i had to sing at the end just chew it and do it so every time you say lower body stiffness i think of chew it and do it there you go. oh my god that is that like nike just do it or is that different chew it and do it. Yes, similar yes yes lots of stiffness sports stiffness and other things they, they kind of all intertwine anyway let's get back to baseball before i completely lose it here well, that's baseball uh, susan yeah that's baseball susan but um <laughs> We talked about Frazier. That's a positive thing. I mean, the bat is starting to come around, too. I think he's hitting like 313 over his last seven or eight games. So if his bat starts to come around, that'll wake the Yankees offense up a little bit. And and Jeff, we talked about this all season long. These guys, usually you have a couple guys that could hide guys that are struggling. But when the Yankees struggle, it's the entire lineup. That's what's been the problem so far this season. The pitching that we thought was going to be the problem isn't the problem. It's been the lineup. Uh, throughout you know the first part of the season yeah you're right and even in even with the in the race series they didn't it wasn't like they were blowing out teams they're not scoring a ton of runs you know I guess another another concern is Stanton's all of a sudden become an every other day player you, you know I don't get that is there something more going wrong is there something that he's playing through that they're is trying to keep him healthy? Still hurt right yeah. yeah you know here's a guy's DHing. you know they thought about putting a glove in his hand and I don't think that's a great idea you're playing one of your top players and power hitters which he's looked awful at the plate so if you're if you're playing him every other day there's no way he's going to be able to get into a rhythm and get any kind of at bats and try to get back to you know will he carry the team or he'll probably do it a, a couple more times and carry the team for a couple weeks Wasn't like he it, did before he got hurt didn't you think it was weird that he didn't have a rehab assignment before he came back in that detroit series it seems like he, maybe he, they're afraid that he's going to get hurt on his rehab and he's never going to come back so they had to do it for the media i don't know that, that's a fair point too uh, and and something that still scares me i know aaron boone said that Corey Kluber is going to start a flat ground program in the coming days and he thinks it's a good sign but getting second and third opinions on the uh, die MRI and the fact that it's his throwing shoulder and he only threw one inning last year because of another separate issue in that same throwing shoulder last year I don't want to be a sorry Jeff I don't want to be a negative Nelly (laughs) but you can't help but be that when you have one of your starters who you gave $11 million to, who you wanted to factor in as a, you know, you wanted to hook him up 
with Garrett Cole as your one-two punch in the postseason, eesh, I, you know, and you haven't really seen. I know Luis Severino is starting a, a program as well. He might be actually starting a rehab assignment to come back to the big club. But how many eggs can you put in Luis Severino's basket when you haven't really seen him consistently do anything on the mound? And tipping your cap after four innings in a postseason game isn't really what I want to see from Luis Severino. I got to see more. So Kluber's shoulder scares the hell out of me more than it's scaring the Yankees right now. Yeah, you know, it's I agree. It, you know, you wonder if, you know, Kluber, anybody that has shoulder shoulder problems, it's very tough to come back from. And, you know, him getting a third and fourth penny, like you said, it is concerning. It, you know, maybe he is one of those players right now and saying, you know what, this is probably my last shot. You know, I'm not going to have surgery on it. If I have surgery, then my baseball career is over. You sign me to the contract. Let me, you know, rest a little bit. He was supposed to be shut down for a month and let me try to get it going again and see what happens. You know, he's going to do rehab assignments and from there you know though obviously the Yankees will will judge where he is as far as coming back to the big leagues or being able to pitch again maybe that's what he's thinking it's probably the best case scenario you know because if he winds up having surgery or he's out the rest of the year then I think his career is probably over you know he was pitching really well and you know all of a sudden this happens he like I said he might be saying you know what I'm just going to roll the dice he said you know because if I do have surgery I'm done with Severino, you're not going to see him till after the All-Star break anyway. He's going to have to build up his arm strength, build up some innings. There's no sense of bringing him to the big leagues and only pitching him four innings. You know, we saw that in the beginning of the year when they had Tyone and also Kluber going 75 to 80 pitches. You're killing your bullpen. And that time of year, your bullpen does not need to be killed because then all of a sudden you're going into the playoff stretch run. You're hitting the dog days of August. And you don't need somebody coming up giving you 75 pitches. He's got to come to the big leagues, at least being able to throw 95 to 100 pitches, and let's see how he does. And that's probably not until after the All-Star break. What they have now, it's it's okay. And, you know, with Severino, I think he'll a lot of pressure will be taken, taken off of him because you do have an ace. Remember, Severino was probably the ace. I know you had Tanaka, but Severino was probably that guy. Maybe it was just too much pressure for him. Well, right now, the ace is the bullpen. They're the ones that are getting – they're the ones that got those wins locked down for the Yankees in the in the Rays series and you know the Yankees have their work cut out for them if they're going to hit the record I know our buddy Ken Davidoff has his records every year that he does for the Yankees and the Mets and we see those tweets all the time and he predicted 97 wins for the Yankees I predicted 100 for crying out loud so they have to go let me see let me do some quick math here they have to go 69 and 36 Well, the thing of it is, is they're okay. They're going to have the Red Sox this weekend, and this is the first time that the Yankees have played the Red Sox, so they're going to see them, I think, at least two series every single month now going forward, and you're going to have the Blue Jays. So, you know, the American League East has all of a sudden become what I thought was going to be maybe one of the weakest has become one of the strongest. Yeah, do you guys think the Red Sox and the Rays, obviously the Rays look legit, but do you think the Red Sox are going to keep this up? We see teams have good stretches and then they fall as we look ahead to the series this weekend. What do you think the Red Sox do the rest Uh, of the way? I think getting uh, Chris Sale back and uh, Cora back as manager, I don't think they fall off. Nelly, what do you think? I, I don't think so either. I think they wind up adding. I didn't think they were going to be this good. I thought, okay, maybe they're going to be a third or fourth place team. But watching them, I saw them against the Marlins series, and yeah, it was in a in a rainstorm all weekend last weekend. It was it was very impressive. Their lineup is really good. You have Bogarts is having MVP type season. JD Martinez Devers is just uh, you know he's crushing the ball, driving in everything. 
you have the top two guys in Hernandez and Verdugo. They're they are really strong. They have a very deep lineup, and their pitching is not bad. You know, their starting pitching is not bad. Evaldi's a five or six inning guy at most. He's not going to go deep in the game, but his control is a lot better than what he used to be. And if they get sale back, and I believe adding somebody could put them, I don't know about over the top, but in the playoff picture. And I think Alex Cora has obviously made a huge difference with that team. You know, he's a very smart guy and him being out that year probably hurt them. And then him coming back, managers usually don't make a whole lot of difference, but with him, I think it's, uh, it's made a huge difference with Boston. So four and a half behind the first place raise, two and a half behind the Red Sox. As we tape this on Friday before the Yankees start this three game weekend set their first series with the Red Sox as the rivalry is renewed this weekend, three, 7 PM games in the Bronx, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Sunday, of course, is on ESPN. Why would we ever play baseball on a beautiful Sunday afternoon when we could wait all day for Sunday night? It drives me absolutely insane. It will be 91 degrees Sunday. So uh, for, for the ones who yeah, chub, for, the chub, for the chubby ones that sweat like me, it's probably better off. But I agree. I think uh, it should be a 1 p.m. game. Oh, Sunday, my God. It's just, less. it's, uh, you know. Well, I mean, you know, one thing that the Yankees, it's, you look and always teams want to add add pitching. I mean, we're in we're in the beginning of June. I mean, we did make my I think we got David Justice like in June. I don't remember when we got him in June. It might have been in the beginning. So teams do make trades this early. You're always thinking, okay, hey, you know, always need a starter to starting pitcher to get you over the top because starters are going to win. I think the Yankees have to adjust, they have to address their outfield. I mean, you're putting Andujar out there. You're putting Judge in center. Yeah, Gardner's it's not work. an everyday it's guy. Work. Yes. It, it's uh, that you have zero guy, zero in the minor leagues, unless you call, call up uh, Floreal or whatever. You have to address that position. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 if the Yankees don't, it, there's going to be some down days ahead. You know, the pitching to me, Nelly, and you're a former reliever, you could speak to this better than I can, obviously. But you keep relying on your bullpen as heavily as the Yankees are relying on their bullpen. And let's face it, they they have to, especially with Kluber out. I, I mean, they're 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 piecemealing games together with the bullpen. The Scranton shuttle must be running out of gas because it's being used so much. But talk about the Rays. Through 60 games and how they got gassed in the playoffs last year it might be the same thing for this Yankee team it could but it's all up and down baseball though as far as starters so it's not just the Yankees that are that are going to have concerns but that's a trend that's a trend we talked about this with uh, Mike Stanton that's a trend that has to change yeah it has to it has to you know I'm seeing you know there was there was an instance I had a Marlin game the other week the other day and they had a starter that was basically dealing at 90 pitches in the fourth inning and they took him out, you know, and he was winning the game. They wound up losing against the Blue Jays in, in the ninth inning, 90 in pitches. I mean, you got to be able in the fourth inning is a lot. He, he struck out nine. Yeah, exactly. He struck out nine, but at the same time, you know, 90 pitches, you got to be able to go 15 more. Give, give me 15 more to try to get the W you're blowing. I mean, bullpens are getting 12 to 15 outs every single night. And the Yankees are part of that. You know, every once in a while, they get guys that had that good stretch where, where starters were going deep into the game and kind of eliminated it. You know, it's just analytics are killing baseball. And I think Coney's perfect game, he threw 88 pitches yeah. against against the Expos. And this yeah, time. because guys finished off. I mean, you got ahead and you didn't waste pitches. You weren't going – if you got 0-2, 1-2, you're not going to 3-2. They're, they're, you know, and plus more balls were being put in play. You know, now it's – I've never seen so many high strikeouts in my life. Guys swinging at pitches, letter – 
high and above. I don't get it. I can't get enamored with Garrett Cole. I mean, I want to. I want to be wowed by his strikeout totals through his first whatever starts of the season, but I can't because the whole league is striking out. I can't get excited. It used to be a show me pitch when we played because there was a lot more there was a lot more players and a lot more hitters that put the ball in play. And even when you were 0-2, some some guys you still felt uncomfortable with. You had to make a good pitch to get them out. A high strike or something above the letters is always a show me pitch. I mean, you knew guys weren't going to swing at it, but it was something that, okay, this is what I'm going to use to set up my next pitch. And now guys are living upstairs with the 95 and, and, and even 92 and they're swinging right through it. And I'm like, what do you guys, you see the ball, you see the high pitch better than any any other pitch and you're swinging right through it. Can I go back to a callback that Jake called me out on after the first spring training game when Gary Sanchez didn't catch up to a nine oh, yeah. hour fastball? Yeah. I mean, but that was just a sign of things to come granted it's not just gary it's league wide but it was something i picked up on in the first spring training game like wow 91 and and he like he swung through it like it was 99 for crying out loud but before we uh get to our guest Paige hamilton of the uh heavy metal band helmet who's a yankee fan by the way we'll talk to him in just a sec nelly i, I have to ask you if you have any uh big time memories from your rivalry with the red sox when you played with the yankees oh uh, you know it was that was it was probably built up more for the media the media did it to try to get the fans involved we always do you're right yeah and it's uh as far as us it was just another team but uh, again it was one of those teams there were three teams that mr steinbrenner when he was around you had to beat uh you had to beat the mets if you had a, if you had inner you know the uh, subway series you had to beat the rays because he lived down there and then you had to beat the red sox you know I know you had to beat everybody else, but those three teams, you it was must wins. But we had, I mean, watching Clemens and watching Pedro Martinez go at it, and I think it was on a Sunday night, uh, that was an incredible game. We had times in the bullpen in 03, you know, when that's when Pedro Martinez threw Don Zimmer down. And, uh, you know, we had a brawl in the bullpen. You, you know, we, there was, uh, I think it might have been, it might have been in the playoffs in 03, that it was either 03 or maybe 2000, one of those years that we played the Red Sox that we had to come off the field because all of a sudden the Red Sox fans were throwing water bottles on the field. And I think it came from, it happened at Yankee Stadium, and then all of a sudden we go back to Boston, and then it happened again, and we were all in that little tiny dugout in Boston. Uh, you know, it was just such great, it was great rivals. I mean, you always wanted to beat them. They always had great teams. And, you know, luckily, and I wasn't there when they started winning. I was gone after 04 when, when the Red Sox came back and started winning the World Series. But, you know, we would go to Boston. We would actually have half Yankee fans, half Red Sox fans, because all the NYPD and NYFD on their off days, they would go up and they would drive up and they would be in the stands and they would be rooting for the Yankees. So we would have half Yankee fans. And then we would see them out at nighttime. I mean, we would go out and next thing you know, all the NYPD and the, and the fire department, they were all out at the same bars we were. So we were, uh, you know, it was fun. They're like, oh, yeah, did you see that brawl? That was, uh, that was us. But it was, uh, but it was great because you, you, had, you had great followers, and it was always a fun series. Can I just ask you a question? That, that Zimmer game where he got thrown down by Pedro Martinez, did you all see that happen when you were in the bullpen, or, or was your view blocked? How did that all come about? Yeah, you know, it was one of those with, uh, I think it was Kareem Garcia when Pedro – threw up and in and all of a sudden, you know, he had Posada pointing at his head and, you know. Who is Kareem Garcia as Pedro? Yeah, exactly. And uh, no, we were blocked off. So we didn't see anything until we saw it on TV. 
And you had Don Zimmer, a little bowling ball running after him. Yeah, yeah but if you all did see that. Oh, we're, we're crushing Pedro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what yes. I figured. I, I I would figure you guys would have been out of the Which pen. Which I'm and... surprised they didn't anyway. They must have had they must have had tons of players around Pedro and pulling him away. Because if anybody else would have seen that, I'm surprised that they didn't go after him. Mess with Nelly, get your ass beat. He's taller, <laughs> he's bigger, he's stronger, and he drinks a lot more beer than you do. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that I I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to be staring Nelly down if, if the bullpen's empty. That's for sure. I want to stare Nelly down when he's drinking one of these Bacardi girl drinks oh in front boy. of him. But we got to call him out because you know he can only do it on the golf course. But he did it did make his Instagram. So it, well, it the name it is the guy that I was with. I mean, he was a distributor and he covered. He works all all throughout New York. He said, "Hey, if you post this on your Instagram, I'll, I'll get you a uh, a case of it." So I, I texted <laughs> my daughters. I said, "Hey, you guys ever drink this?" And they're like. No, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a case for you. So I did it because of that, or otherwise, I'm not doing that. I got to hide. Yeah, case for you. It's it's sitting right next to him right now in the fridge. (laughs) Well, we all know, we all know, like heavy metal rock bands and rock bands in general, uh, what their drink of choice was on the road. Uh, We're going to find out what Paige Hamilton's was, the lead singer of Helmet. We uh, we found out a couple days ago that he's a huge Yankee fan, grew up in Oregon. We're going to find out his story next, right here on the Pinstripe Pod. Joining us now, what a treat, the lead singer of the heavy metal band Helmet, Paige Hamilton. You could check out uh, their stuff, helmetmusic.com. He's a guitarist, singer, and Yankees fan. I was so happy to find this out. He's got a live album coming out with Helmet, cover song box set as well. He toured with David Bowie for crying out loud, playing guitar for Bowie. Uh, He's also got a Progress Humanity Let It Be recording coming out as well. Paige, so cool to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited. This is um, amazing. Great to uh, to meet you meet you on the phone and Nelly. Thank you for uh, you know you spoiled us. Those teams were uh, I don't know just like looking back now and seeing what that you know that dynasty we had we got kind of spoiled. So after yeah, making it to the eighties, yeah, amazing. I want I want to know you grew up you grew up in Oregon. So my and you went to university. So you're a duck. And actually, my third daughter is a duck as well. She's got one more year. So she's got a fifth year uh, architectural program. So she's at the University of oh, Oregon. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. and. How did we not? I mean, I was out in Seattle for a long time, and '95 turned that city around. And all of a sudden, growing up in Oregon, you're not a Mariner fan; you're a Yankee fan. Yeah, there's a strange you may or may not know kind of a, that we have a little bit of a, as a duck. We hate the Husk, right? We have Husk yes, exactly. It's just like the Red Sox Yankees, yeah. Yeah, so there's that, you know, and you know, Ted Bundy was a Husky, all those great things that we do when we play the Huskies. And my first game was a Sunny Six Killer versus Dan Fouts. So I, you know, it's my whole family went there. Dad, my uncle played basketball for the Ducks and everything. So I'm, I can't escape the Ducks. And then, of course, I was born in Portland, so got the Austin Blazers. But I moved to New York to go to grad school in 85. And, you know, 85, 86, obviously, the Mets were like, you know, amazing. They were, they had the team that won the World Series. And I just, I lived uptown and I could walk to Yankee Stadium. And it was back then, it was, you know, like when the Brewers were in our division, you know, or in the American League, I should say, I could, yeah, they only had two divisions. Go, yeah. yeah, I could go to a game, walk down behind home plate and have a beer and smoke a cigar. And it was just a great escape from the heat of this, you know, city in the summertime. And I just fell in love with it. And my first game was actually against the Sox. Clemens versus Tommy John. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we were down 
we were down nine zip and uh Winnie hit a three run bomb kind of right center and place went crazy we came back and won in extras and it was incredible and Willie Randolph uh, Mattingly who I have a little shrine to you know and we held up Pags Robbie Kelly Cerrone it was just a really cool team and I just I don't know I just fell in love with it I grew up a Willie Mays fan so in my in Medford Oregon my hometown there was a Giants farm team so I like you know I liked the Giants as a kid but you know you're a kid and you kind of waver you go back forth and uh, the years when Reggie hit those homers I was like yeah these Yankees are pretty cool so it just unfortunately <laughs> became an addict and yeah the team does that to you and I have to ask you this because I grew up in New Jersey I grew up a Yankee fan from you know the time I was I pretty much when I was an embryo, they did an ultrasound and there was an interlocking in <laughs> my head. Yeah. So I, guilty is charged here. So I, I feel you for sure and how special this team and this franchise is. When I walked, my grandfather, God rest him, he he took me to my first game when I was four or five years old. I can't really remember uh, how old I was, but when I walked through the tunnel the first time, and I had a black and white TV at my house, so you never really saw the grass. So when you walk out the first time and you see that green grass, what was your feeling, Paige, when you walked out and you saw that stadium for the first time live in living color? Because my reaction was like, oh my God, I just walked through the pearly gates and I'm in heaven. Yeah, it's the same. And I, and I you know, to, to be honest with you, even though, you know, with the new stadium and stuff, it's a lot different. And I had my manager and I had tickets in the 90s, season tickets. So I went to many, many games and just, I always had that feeling of this, I don't know, it's kind of escape and you walk in and just seeing the grass and the smells and the sounds of the stadium and Freddie banging the, the can thing. And just, it just was just an incredible, incredible sports experience. And it's weird, like growing up on the West Coast, there's, a, it's a little, I don't know, sports. I went like one year when we played the, the O's, we had a doubleheader against the O's in 96. And I was at the, I was at the game, went to went both games and it was just incredible, like this intense because we were battling for the division and flew out and, you know, my label bought, got me tickets to go see the Niners. So I went to the Niner game and it was this completely different atmosphere and, you know, just so intense at Yankee Stadium and in Candlestick, it was kind of like, Oh, we got a touchdown. Yay. You know, where's the sushi? And I, I just was kind of like, just, I, I, you know, I just, I don't know. I just, there's something about sports in New York. And I think, you know, look, I, I, as I said, I grew up on the West Coast, but I play intense music and I love, I moved to New York for, you know, for the music and for the culture and just for, you know, whatever. And I feel like kind of right now, like not to get all uppity or whatever, but does this team, do these guys understand the, how important it is to us? Do they understand the tradition of, I don't know, you know, the locking in, you know, interlocking NY, being a Yankee. I mean, to us, it's a big deal. We, you know, live and die by every game, right? I mean, it's, I'm sitting here yesterday morning up and fire my coffee up and it's 10 a.m. the game's on, you know, and you know, we saw what happened and it was just like, God, I just, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just, come on, man. Like, I, I felt like Nelly's team, those teams, nobody ever gave up an at bat, right? Ever. Like, we're, if we could be down, and Paul O'Neill, like that in 97, right? The you know, legging out the yeah. double, legging no. out the double. I was like, I always remember that. Like, we're losing to the Indians, and, and he's just legging this double out. He's just, you know, he's hurt, too. He's got a bum wheel, right? And I just, I don't know. Like, did these guys, like, I felt like the other day when we got down to Detroit in the third crappy game, like, they were just like, all right, whatever. 
you know, we're down. It's, it was only like, what, 6-2 or something, I think? I can't remember. Nelly, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, the urgency the urgency to win now is it is definitely doesn't seem to be the same. You know, just perfect examples. Like, you know, Yankees were always one of those teams, except the last two years, they, have, they haven't had old-timers day. And when I played, and I grew up in Baltimore, I played in Seattle, lived in Seattle for 20 years. And when I would come in my first time before the Yankees, we would hit old, I hit old-timers day twice when I was a Mariner. And I still... You know, I never really was a Yankee fan growing up, but I would still sit in that dugout and I would look across and I would see, you know, Mickey Mantle was there then. And uh, you had Yogi Berra, you had Phil Rizzuto back then. You had guys that even Joe DiMaggio wouldn't play, but he was still there. So I knew the history, even though I wasn't a Yankee fan and I wasn't a Yankee yet. And then you go and you're you're part of the Yankees. And Mr. Steinbrenner, when he was still alive, he would make all the, he would have all the old timers during old timers day. We would all dress in the same locker room. So we would be sharing locker with Goose and Sparky Lyle and, you know, Willie Randolph and Chambliss and all these guys would be in there. And just to hear their stories and to hear what they said, I mean, it really did rub off because that's what he wanted to happen. But now at the new stadium, we don't even see the the current players. The only guys that really ever came out, when Jeter, when he was still playing, when we came in, uh, you would see Rivera if he was still playing. And uh, CeCe Sabathia is a big historian. He would love to come out. Everybody else, I mean, Nick Swisher, but you would have, what, four guys out of 25? And, and that's all. I mean, nobody else would ever come in. And we were never allowed in the in their locker room. It was like, oh, no, you guys are – your time is done. Your time has passed. Not that we wanted to go in, but at the same time, it's just a history. They forget about it. They just don't know what happened before them. Yeah. It's, I don't know. There's the – you know, as a player, it had to have been amazing because I know how I feel as, as a fan. You know, and and it's just I don't know, man. I'm I'm watching old highlights and stuff, and see, and just I don't know. It'd be like every guy, like I mean, your intensity on the mound when you got a strikeout. You know, I just like I mean, just it was like oh, you're you because that's how we feel. You know what I mean? And I, I just I don't know. It's uh, it's frustrating. And I you know I I think I've heard Boone's a really really nice guy. Obviously, he's from a you know baseball family and and, and everything. I don't know if is he the is he the right guy? I really wanted Donnie Mattingly because obviously because I'm a huge fan. And I got to, uh, we were were friends with a band called Seven Dust and uh, the the drummer knew Tanyan Sturtz. So he got us field passes. We were playing in Tampa. I couldn't go to the game. It was a spring training game. And uh, I got to stand on the field and watch batting practice. And yeah, Donnie was pitching batting practice. And Frankie Bello, the bassist from Anthrax, was in Helmet at the time, my band. And we were just standing. It was amazing. You know, Jeter and A-Rod and Jambi and everybody just seeing, seeing these guys hit. But... I, we were like, oh my God, Donnie. And he, Donnie looks at us and it walks past us into the dugout and sees us just like grinning, two like little kids. And he goes, he's like, hey, he, goes, he just goes, he goes, hey guys. We're just like, <laughs> just, it was, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it was amazing. And, you know, that, that series in 95 when he, I mean, he batted like 400 and it was his first, first and last. You know, playoff. We had the wild card, fortunately. And Gary Gary Thorne's call, Paige. Gary Thorne's call will resonate in my head for the rest of my life. When he, when Donnie hit that ball, and he just said, "Hold on to the roof." and nothing else yeah. and you just heard yeah. the natural sound in the stadium there was nothing like that home run nothing incredible uh incredible just uh, amazing man it was i mean it was a great great series obviously that you know it didn't work out our way I, it's really funny i uh, i lived on at least your way in east village <laughs> yeah it worked out and nelly's yeah, way just yeah. fine <laughs> 
<laughs> I know, I know. Well, then, so we had, to, we, well, we had, that's why we had to get you over to our side. So, you, you know, but it was, uh, I was, I ran into Jack McDowell at my bar, 2A, uh, that I go to downtown. And I was like, oh man, it's, you know, I'm so, so, how do you feel? You know, we won the World Series and you missed it by a year. And he goes, I feel really bad for, for Mattingly, you know, and, and, he, you know, so he, cause he'd been there all those years and, you know, we saw his glory years and, um, you know, and he never got a never got a title, but I don't know. It's just it was such a great. I mean, we'll never see a team like that again. That's my that's how I feel now. Anyway, I mean, I just I feel like you know every guy on the just the the, the way everything came together in '96. That was the the year for me. I mean, obviously '98 team was the best ever, and but '96 was just uh, you know those years of walking to the stadium and crossing the bridge and you know seeing seeing us kind of end up in fourth place or whatever and you know nothing happening and then uh, I don't know just was a great you know incredible incredible you know I don't think we'll ever see another sports team I'm curious Paige you know a normal person a bad loss a rough loss you know the Yankees lose they might go drink or something if if the Yankees lose and you're frustrated do you go perform heavy metal like do you scream it out do you yell it out like what's your form of uh therapy for a Yankee loss it's Oddly, as a as a jazz nerd, because I have my master jazz guitar, I, I play guitar. It calms me down. Like it's the first thing I do every day. I make coffee. I fire up the guitar, and then I right now I'm writing some music for a TV show. So I'll, you know, and I I have to like yesterday I had to turn it off. I just I mean the umps weren't the reason we lost, but there were some ridiculous calls. Kiermaier was out twice. He was out of the base path. I'm sorry, and you know they called him safe twice, and and you know it, and then there were strikes like uh, Frazier's. The first two strikes were balls. So he's like even K said, hey, that's a five you know five ball strikeout you know and but we had second third no outs and you know what happened so I, I was just really and I, I just had to turn it off and I and I went in I just worked I just turned I fired up music and stuff but I do write intense music <laughs> well if the Yankees keep frustrating you at least you'll knock out some music yeah there you go yeah, exactly right yeah yeah I know it's you know, it's I don't it's it's frustrating. You know, I I don't I don't I just don't. Yeah, I heard I listened to the with uh, you know Stanton, your guys' podcast with Stanton, and I just I like what I don't know. I mean, I played little league. You know, I played second and I played second, third, short, and then I was a catcher in little league, and I pitched and stuff. And I, there's just some fundamental things that we we learned. You know, that I, I just like the base, like being thrown out on the base path, like where we lead the league. I mean, we're gonna have half a lineup that strikes out a hundred times. How about making some contact, you know, move the runner, like just anything, you know, yeah, it's we, just, we I, talk I, about this page. We talk about this weekend and yeah. And week out on this podcast, it's like, we're a broken record. And it's, it's something that we talked about heavily with Billy Ripken. We talked about heavily with Mike Stanton uh, approaches at the plate and how pitchers, especially relief pitchers, they fall in love with the radar gun. Mike Stanton uh, was very eloquent. And he said the worst invention ever in baseball is the radar gun, because that's what everybody gets enamored with. It's not command anymore. It's, you know, the fireballers just promote, promote, promote with no command. And that's why you want to, you know, and I, I said, this to Mike Stanton because I wanted to get him and Nelly's opinion on this. They were hell of a tag team in the bullpen back in their day. The thing is, I would rather see a pitcher go through the system and learn command and come up. That's going to speed games up if you know how to pitch. What puts the game on pause is all the pitching changes and all the guys who come up and they can't throw strikes. That's something we talk about all 
the freaking time on this show. So it's great that you brought that up. I want to go back and I want to get yours and Nelly's thoughts on this too. But something you said earlier about Aaron Boone, is he the guy? I think he is the guy. I think he's fine as a manager, but here's my, it, it's the concepts. It's the analytics that I think are ruining when Glaber Torres first burst onto the scene, when Gary Sanchez first burst onto the scene, when most of these guys, Aaron Hicks, they were taking the ball all over the field. They were. And then it was all about the short porch. It was all about launch angle. And you, you're seeing these guys. I'm, I make it a point after we talk to Billy Ripken and after we talk to Mike Stan, I make it a point to see approaches on two strikes. These guys are, they're not choking up on the bat. They're not shortening their swing. Gary Sanchez, the other night, I saw it. They had, it was that extra inning game that they won when Frazier saved them with the two run homer. But Sanchez is at bat. Every swing was from his rear end. It was extremely long. He he didn't shorten up. He didn't just try to make contact and take it the other way. The but it's not just Gary. It's everybody. The approach is just way the hell off. I I, t I, I talked about this with a buddy yesterday. Another a buddy of mine, a drummer in, in New Jersey, who, who we went to our first Yankee. He took me to my first game, and and I said, remember Little League had had uh, Mr. Gould. He's like, okay, you got two strikes, choke up, uh huh, and and just put the bat on the ball. You know, I mean, in Little League, you know, when you're 12 or whatever, it it just seems like I don't know, man. I it's yeah, it's it's really frustrating. The whole line. I, you know, I was thinking back to two, um, 2017, and I was like, God, Cashman looks like a genius. He trades Miller, he trades Chapman, gets these young, this young talent. Then we got cheated by the Astros. I mean, that team, you know, Guardy's at bat like that, you know, with a, however, 12 pitches or whatever the hell it was. Incredible. I'm like, God, we, we, we have life. There is life in the Bronx. This is going to happen. And no offense to this guy. He's a great talent, whatever. But I didn't understand getting Stanton, an MVP who strikes out 100 times. He hits the ball really, really hard, really, really far for a week or 10 days and you know he was amazing in that playoffs against Tampa for a minute and I and I feel like is that the approach did we did that become our approach I I, I don't know I mean you know I'm not there I mean the analytics you're talking about I'm just thinking you know Joe Torrey or I remember back to Dallas Green or or you know Billy like if somebody <laughs> I heard the thing with Kiermaier got an eyelash and if somebody come in Billy Martin's um, office and said I got an eyelash I can't play today. And the, like, why are guys, why are guys injured? Like every like like again? Like what? Is it too much weightlifting? Is it not a baseball? Activity? I don't know. I you know I'm a I'm a musician, right? I play you know I play guitar and sing, and I'm not I'm not a great baseball player. Well, you, you know? have to you have to take care of your throat. So how do you take care of your throat? I mean, we we drink tea from time to time. What is your go to drink of choice? I don't drink before a gig, alcohol, booze. I have, we go 10. We just did the 30th anniversary of Helmet was in 2019. So we did 30 shows in Europe, 30 in the U.S. with 30 song sets. My manager came up with this idea. I was, of course, sitting on my porch going, that sounds like a great idea. Then you get out there, it's like 30 songs. And I just, I am, I'm 61 years old now, right? So I've been doing this for a long you time. You don't look it. God and bless you. He's putting a new meaning to the <laughs> 30 for 30. There you go. Yeah, right. Yeah, we call it the the 30 by 30 by 30 tour tour. And uh, I, you know, I sleep is the main thing getting getting rest, like crawl on my bunk at, you know, two or three in the morning after the show on the bus. And I sleep and uh, make I sleep till 12, then I get up and have food. And then and I don't drink until uh, 10 songs in, I'll crack a beer, I'll have a couple of sips of a beer. And that's about it. And, um, and I don't smoke, you know, smoke weed, I don't smoke you know, cigarettes, I used to stupidly smoke cigarettes, you know, I don't do any of that. And, you know, and I, I warm up, 
I do it like a 17, 18 minute warm up before every every show. And it's even if I'm warmed up and I'm 20 shows into a tour where I've done, you know, 20, 20 shows times 30 songs a lot. It's a mental thing, just getting yourself mentally prepared to go out at the age of 60 and sweat and scream and be, you know, in, a, in an intense band for, for you know, a couple, two, two hours, sometimes two and a half. You know, my bandmates are all about 15, 16 years younger than me. And sometimes they just look at me. I'm like, let's do one more. You know, we're 32 songs in. I'm like, oh my God, I hate you. But it's it's just a mental, it's a mental thing. Just like, I think, you know, being an athlete. It's a, you get into it and just prepare yourself. And it's a blast, man. It's a, I feel so lucky to do what I do. So this is, this is one of my favorite interviews we've done on this podcast. I have to be honest with you because you're such a great Yankee fan. Uh, when, when I was reached out to, to see if we would want you on, I was like, wait a minute. Paige Hamilton from Helmet that sang on the Judgment Night soundtrack. <laughs> and they were like, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yes, that's the one. I was like, that is one of my go-to Jim Mix uh, songs. Just Another that's Victim. Awesome. You did that with House of Pain. And House of yeah. Pain was one of my favorite hip-hop groups when I was uh, growing up. Air quotes, Chris Farley there. But when you guy, when you all did that crossover for the movie, the movie was messed up. I mean, I, I loved it. But the soundtrack is the best part of that movie. And uh, I, I just have to ask you about that song and House of Pain and just do us a favor. Just plug what you're doing as well. You told us before we came on, but I want everybody to, to know where Helmet's going to be and what's going on with your career. So thank you for doing that song with House of Pain. And just give us a little uh, feel of what's going on with Helmet, Paige. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I love this. It's so it's so much fun for me, obviously. And I, I you know, thanks for having me. It's, it's and I thank uh, thanks to my friend Laura for reaching out and you know making this happen. But the House of Pain thing came about. We were the first band they, they approached, and and uh, they were there. They talked about you know oh, we're going to put rap and rock together, and I'm like that'll never work. And uh, it became this huge genre sub genre and sub genre. I ended up actually guesting on a Lincoln Park record, and they were like, yeah, that album that influenced. You know, and uh, the, uh, so that was an, a really fun experience. Completely different ways of working. You know, those guys and I think I, well, I mentioned to you guys they showed up with a huge bag of weed in the studio and watching adult <laughs> watching adult films while we're working. I'm like, this is a little distracting, you know. But uh, it was when I talked to Everlast. I said, he's like, what are you thinking lyrically? And I said, I have this idea about people feeling victimized all the time. And uh, and I, and he goes, that works great with what I'm what with what I'm thinking. So. That was fun, but with Helmet, we, we you know we celebrated the 30 years in 2019, and we had uh, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, South America ahead. Uh, uh, you know, in 2020, which got obviously canceled. It's getting stuff's getting rebooked. We're hitting the road again in September. If it happens, I hope it will in the U.S. And then next, we've rebooked Australia, New Zealand, uh, New Zealand Japan, South America for 2020. What are we, 22 next year and then we have some more shows we're gonna play with a band called ministry that we coincidentally toured with back in 1992 uh, when they released this album the mind is a terrible thing to taste so we're doing this there the anniversary of that and then uh, we have we have a live cbgb show that i mixed with our engineer toshi and a live show from um the big day out for some we played australia and so that's a kind of a, kind of a you know double uh, you know, double-sided live thing. And then we have, we did a bunch of cover songs and we, uh, I did this artwork uh, with this, these guys in Los Angeles that designed this glove with these lights on it and it tracked my playing. So it's, it's just really cool. It looks like painting and that's the artwork. And we did a Bowie, Louis Cult, Beatles, and a band called Wire cover. And that's, uh, and it's titled Move, Move On, which is the Bowie song. It's kind of a tribute to him. I was hoping to, to play it for him before he passed, but I never got to. So you toured, you toured with him. Was that, was that an out of body experience for you touring with Bowie? Yeah. 
I had been, I had just left my wife and I was sleeping on my manager's couch. She had the house in Woodstock and the apartment in the East Village. And I stumbled home at four in the afternoon. And, and uh, it's like, everybody's trying to reach me, manager, business manager. It's like, David Bowie's trying to call. I'm like, yeah, right. Well, he calls. I'm like, hello, Paige, it's David Bowie. And I was just like, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, no way. And uh, yeah, he, he was he was really cool. And he's like, he goes, he goes, what time do you get up? Be honest. And I'm like, noon. And he's like, can you make it to the studio? And, uh, and I go, yeah, let me think, David Bowie. Yes, I think I can make it to the studio. So I get to the studio and uh, we chatted and he gave me 30 songs to learn in two weeks. And the first live show was Wembley Stadium. And, and it was broadcast, it was the Net 8 concert broadcast to, I think they said a billion people. Princess Di staring at me, Mick Jagger on stage going like, who's this heavy metal idiot, you know? And uh, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. And we were, as I said to you guys, the 99 World Series was happening. Sterling Campbell, the drummer, and I are both Yankee fans. Our rooms were adjacent. I could hear him screaming in his room, in his room that, that great series against the Braves. And it was, you know, so we were up in the middle of the night and Bowie's like, uh, you know, like, you guys are tired. And I go, um, World Series? He's like, oh, he's like, the Yankees are my team. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, name a player. <laughs> but uh, it was inc- it, uh, absolutely incredible. I mean, the ex- I learned so much. And he would, you know, he would look, you know, look over to me. He'd be smoking a cigarette. He, he smoked a lot. And he'd, he'd go, advice. I can't do his accent. It's going to be terrible English accent. But advice for budding young songwriters. And he stares at me. And he's like, I nicked half my tunes from Danny Kay, the inchworm. And I'm like, inchworm? What? Okay. Yep. Yes. You know, yes, Mr. Bowie, but <laughs> take your advice. But that yeah, was amazing. When are you in New York or Florida? I, I, I meet up with you. I'm going to, I'm, my godson turns 10 July 26th. So I think I'm going to fly out. That's the plan. It depends on what happens with this TV show. And I would love that. I would love to, to, to meet up. Are you playing at all in any to... of these states in New York? Are you going to play again in New York? Uh, not till we're, we're playing New York in, I believe it's part of this ministry tour, September, October. October is I can't remember the first dates we start with like a festival in Kentucky um, and then and you know go from there the, the louder than life festival and so I, I you know I can't wait to get on stage I can't wait to play I'm just itching obviously it's when none of us thought this would last this long so yeah really excited but I'd love to love to hook up that'd be amazing yeah helmetmusic.com at helmetmusic on Facebook and Twitter Paige Hamilton thank you so much we appreciate the time and a great Yankee fan by the way this was tremendous thank you so much thank you guys so much fun what an honor it's awesome thank you man That says goodnight to episode 58, the Randy Choate edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for producing the show. Go to Apple Podcasts right now. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a positive review. We do appreciate it. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We're back Monday after the Yankees series with the Red Sox. Enjoy the series in your weekend. And thanks for listening to the pod, everybody. Until next time.